podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Hello, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, or you know, good day from wherever you are listening this LinkedIn Live. It's a special, uh, you know, LinkedIn Live show. Uh, my name is Naishad Gadani, and I'm the founder of Your Career Down Under, which is a career coaching company based in Melbourne, where I specifically work with uh, international graduates, students, and uh, skilled migrant who arrive from overseas to build their career. And I help them to start their career, build their career and realize their Australian dreams. So that's what I do. Now, why we do this LinkedIn Live? Uh, in last five weeks or six weeks, since the time that I started from Australia and came to India, the world has turned upside down. And I say this in literal sense because the it is an unrecognizable world that we find ourselves in. Right now, when I'm sitting in my home in Ahmedabad, the traffic on the street has dropped from 10 to 1, not even 1, less than 1. It is a mind-boggling uh, you know, situation that we find ourselves in. And we are currently under lockdown until 3rd of May, and we will then figure out what happens in, uh, you know, what's in our destiny? When do we, when do we return back to Australia? But in the meanwhile, we want to continue to, to provide support and hope to job seekers out there. Uh, you know, you could be listening from any part of the world, but we want to help you out because we think that it is our, you know, my and Caroline Brown, she's not here today. Our, you know, kind of moral obligation, ethical obligation to do something for, uh, you know, job seekers and professionals who have lost jobs or who are currently considering transition into a new job. So that's what we do. So we bring different guests, different perspectives and different ideas uh, for you to make those career decisions. So today, I it is an absolute privilege for me to talk to Prakash Menon, or who's also like to be called as PK. Uh, you know, I, I've I've known Prakash for a long time. He is an absolute uh, you know leader in his uh, field, and he has done some remarkable work in the world of retail, uh, retail thought leadership. But I don't want to introduce him. I'll probably ask Prakash only to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about his professional story because it's also two stories involved. One is that, you know, as a migrant, he made, you know, huge uh, dent in Australian business world, uh, but is also quite humble and, you know, very down to earth when it comes to sharing his knowledge. So today he's going to talk about various aspects, uh, but the theme of today's uh, LinkedIn Live is from adversity to opportunity. So. Prakash, welcome to LinkedIn Live. If you want to start with giving us a little bit background about yourself. Uh, Naisha, thank you so much. First of all, greetings to everyone from Melbourne and uh, 
Uh, yes, sometimes I know forget my own name actually. Prakash, when you, someone says me Prakash, I think, oh wow, that's too formal uh, because uh, this nickname came in around 2000 when someone started calling me PK. And uh, you know, Australia, everyone's name gets shortened. And uh, I thought they were pulling my leg because PK is a chewing gum brand, you know. So, uh, so I said, is it like PK? <laughs> so, PK, the chewing gum brand. I said, no, no, no. It's actually the central character of the book by Bryce Courtney, The Power of One, P W E K A Y. So I said, oh, that sounds important. So kind of that's how the name stuck. Um, but uh, Naishad, I think you guys are doing an amazing. Um, amazing work, uh, service for the community. So I must say, applaud you for that because uh, highly commendable uh, what you guys are doing. And that too is a serious commitment uh, every day. I think every day you uh, do this at three o'clock. Uh, so, which is fantastic because I know that I've been privileged to actually watch your uh, webinars uh, when you do live and I get notifications. So. Thank you for inviting and thank you for uh, allowing me this platform. So thank you. Uh, brief background. Yes, I was very fortunate, I should say, because I came from India about 30 years ago. Uh, I used to be with one of the leading hotels of the world back in India. Yes, I had a rapid rise. And then like any other professional midlife crisis hit me and literally $500 borrowed money and two suitcases and literally a pressure cooker from my mama. So that I don't starve, I came to this beautiful country called Australia um, back in 1990. Uh, I did a lot of research uh, coming to Australia. Uh, I watched Crocodile Dundee movie five times. And uh, that was my research, by the way. Um, and uh, because I'm a cricket fan, like most Indians are, I found Australia to be a cricket-loving nation. So I said, well, that's a place to go. And so that's how I came in here. Uh, initially, like any other immigrant, uh, went through struggles uh, overnight from being at the top of the food chain with these leading hotels. I was now cleaning toilets of a filthy Indian restaurant uh, because I had to survive. And that's the only, the only job I could get was that because 1990 was the worst recession. Uh, then, yes, of course, I went from cleaning toilets of the filthy Indian restaurant to now getting promoted and now cleaning toilets at KFC. Uh, it was a multinational toilet that I was cleaning now. So, so there I uh, became a restaurant manager. Uh, and I, those days, I remember it was Pepsi Cola used to own KFC. And I had to write a report as the manager to the US if I had three pieces of chicken wings left over uh, as to why did you get your forecasting wrong? Three pieces of chicken wings. I used to curse and thinking, what am I doing writing a report for three pieces of chicken wings? But I'm grateful I did that because 10 years later, I was managing $3.2 billion of inventory of the largest department store chain in Australia. Again, the principles of inventory management doesn't change, whether it's three pieces of chicken wings or $3.2 billion. So yes, I had a rapid rise. So I went from KFC, Pizza Hut, I had my own restaurant. Then I switched across to uh, this great department store chain on the shop floor, folding tiles and sheets. And then eight years later, I was very fortunate to be on the board uh, for eight years. And yes, the team did me proud. We turned around this beast uh, supply chain. Um, I didn't come from a supply chain background, but uh, the team did, did us proud. We turned around uh, a broken supply chain into a world-class operation, adding millions of dollars to the profit. So a couple of corporate successes I've had. Uh, that's in a nutshell. 
But then um, the calling had come in 2011, um, deep down. Um, you know, when you've done all that, yes, while I had the uh, corporate privileges, call it, um, all that was good. But I was missing something. There was like that hollow feeling from inside. And there was a massive calling. And I remember the first motivational book I read. Because I was not into reading books or anything at that moment. I mean, I was a typical hard-nosed corporate guy. Um, so my first motivational book I read was Tony Robbins' Unlimited Power. And uh, and that was kind of an eye-opener for me because I had no idea about this. And Tony Robbins is an amazing story if you actually get a chance to know about him, uh, where he obviously comes from a broken family and how he goes on to read 24 books a day. Um, and I'm thinking, how can you read 24 books a day? I can't read one in six months. So that got me intrigued. Um, and uh, he talks about NLP in that. So I had no idea what NLP also meant uh, at that moment. Because academically, yes, I've had a few pieces of paper. Yes, I'm from Wharton and I did my MBA from one of the top schools in Melbourne or in, in Sydney, uh, Australia. Uh, and a couple of other degrees. All that just piece of paper on a wall. My mom can be very proud. Nothing more than that. Uh, it really means nothing seriously. Uh, but I found fascinating with uh, NLP. So I did NLP. Not that I teach, but just to understand my own brain science, really. So that was quite intriguing. And uh, when he talks about reading the 24 books a day, so I googled and I found that there are 11-year-old kids in Japan who don't even have to open the book, they can tell you the contents inside. So that's like quantum reading. So that really got me fascinated. So I did uh, I did um, pursue that. And now I can read, two, I, I do read two to three books a day, not 24 books a day, but two to three books a day. And that is something I, I've got this into a habit. So now on my iPad, like 1500 books, but it's like, you know, uh, one one of the key and people ask me, you know, how do you read a book like that quick? And the process is simple because the, the everything that we are like we drive, everything that we need to know is through our subconscious mind. Really, ninety five percent of the game is the subconscious mind. And one book I would highly recommend um, uh, you should read, or anyone uh, who wants to uh, know about this, is called Psycho Cybernetics. Psycho Cybernetics by John Maxwell. And uh, uh, that book not only helped me from uh, understanding the whole psychology around how people think, also helped me. We went through some extreme adversities uh, in our lives. We, um, we obviously, uh, I don't wish this on any parent, but we lost our older son in an accident or incident, I should say. Uh, that was five years ago. That really took the, basically brought the whole world coming, them crashing down on me. And for us as a family. So obviously we haven't, I would not say that we will probably never recover from that blow. But obviously this anything that helps, there's no book written specifically how you deal with such adversities. It can happen to anyone. It can happen. These are what I call uncertainties of life, unfortunately. So what really uh, helped me was this book. One of the books, uh, one of the uh, things that really helped me to overcome this grief was this book, psycho -Cybernetics. Because 95% of the game, 95% of what everyone does is to do with our self-image. Outwardly, we can wear smart clothes and everything else. But deep down, our core belief system, 
our core uh, strength, character, as we call it, the true test of character comes when the chips are down. Um, and truly, that was something that I experienced in this journey. Uh, and uh, I would say that was one of the things that helped. Psycho-Cybernetics is a good book. Um, so quantum reading is something um, uh, I found fascinating because um, so it's like, you know, when you go to a library, for example, there are thousands of books on any genre. But uh, you go on to how do you then find the books that you want to specifically uh, uh, take home and read? So which I wasn't doing before, but now that I do it. So you find any topic, for example, and then you write down three specific questions. You must write it down, pen to paper, not like computer. You have to put pen to paper. The energy has to flow. When you write down those three questions, it activates the subconscious mind. And then you will obviously go and find those nine books. I'm saying nine as a minimum. You can buy, get more books on that topic. So let's say gardening. I'm using gardening as an example. So if gardening is the topic you want to... Um, then go and find nine books on gardening. Now, so three books which are ten-year-old uh, classic bestsellers, three uh, three books which are three-year-old book bestsellers, and three books which are current bestsellers. So nine books as a minimum. Bring it home, and then you pick up the book and you just read the like you can read the book the front cover and then the back cover, and then. You go through the table of contents. Because your subconscious mind is activated, it'll tell you chapter three, five, seven, or one, three, four, not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like that. That's what we've been programmed, you know. Another book, uh, uh, that I would recommend is called Dumbing Us Down, D-U-M-B-I-N-G, Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto. Now, who is John Taylor Gatto? John Taylor Gatto was a recipient of the Best Teachers Award in 1991 by uh, given to him by the US president uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, so by default that makes him the best teacher in the world really because you know US president giving him the best teachers award but that book dumbing us down it's obviously there on YouTube also it's pretty bit controversial as well you can watch him amazing and he talks about you know he says that book is actually not his book it's his favorable speech uh, and he says, everything that I've been teaching, and I'm talking about the best teacher in the world, by the way. Um, he says, all my life, I've been manipulating my students as the best teacher in the world. So he says, the before 1850s, it was a Socrates way. So you ask a question, you get the answer from within. Anything that you and I need to know is already out in the universe. Uh, but when the, after 1850s, countries in power, people in power, they use education as a means to manipulate others. So... So everything we need to know is already there. So when you actually get your subconscious mind activated, you go chapter three, five, seven, or one, three, five, and then you go basically just flip through and you have these two words. I'm going to use these two words, contradict and contribute. So when you, instead of reading the book and you say, oh, I love the book, uh, I love this book, he said, uh, you read word to word, uh, you actually read the book and read the chapter and you say, close the book and you actually ask the question or, or you make the statement, contradict and contribute, which means you read something and say, hmm, Prakash, I like what you're saying. And which means you're contributing. Suddenly it becomes your intellectual property. It's not plagiarism. It's actually adding your own perspective to this. Or you read the book and you say, hmm, but it's contradicting. Suddenly you suddenly start building up your own intellectual property deck. 
that's one clever way. I didn't know this before. I mean, that's how I've gone on to write the 70 odd books that have been written now. Uh, so that's, I wish I had known this many years ago. <laughs> I would have probably done uh, much better. Uh, but anyway, so that is how the journey began. And uh, now, of course, uh, after whilst I've traveled extensively, but after the adversity we went through, uh, Naishad, uh, I had to come back home, which is something that was most uh, a priority. And that's what, uh, you know, it was it easy to overcome this grief and adversity? No, absolutely not. And, and I'll be lying to you if I said, yeah, it's all been good. Um, and uh, I suppose it's a miracle that I'm still talking to you at the moment. So, yes, we went through a lot of grief and we probably still from time to time, I have my cry uh, sitting in a corner somewhere. But that's all part of the life journey, right? So, so what happens is um, the important step is to take baby steps. Baby steps to uh, get back your life together. That's what I did. So first step is to get, I wanted to get, so that, you know, we talk about the, uh, we talk about uh, um, Abraham Maslow's, uh, um, you know, the hierarchy of needs. We talk about the basic needs. So one is to get the security, stability, and so get myself back into the corporate world, get a job. So, and it's probably very relevant, especially in light of what's happening with COVID-19, obviously, I mean, who would have uh, seen or predicted something like this to happen? It's unprecedented. But the world will not be the same. Okay, go coming. I mean, probably uh, this is probably top of mind for many people as well right now. And times of uncertainty, as we term use the term VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertainty, complex, ambiguity. And uh, I think it's smart to actually, I'm saying it's smart. Um, whilst we can go on create courses programs products etc which is what i do and i teach and coach all that but then the smart thing would be to actually rather than saying simply having a career as a job uh, only which my father did for 40 years working for one company those days are gone it doesn't exist anymore but now it's to actually build a career portfolio okay so rather than simply having a career as a job that's my view. So when I say career portfolio, um, yeah. you just pick up any job. Um, yeah. And uh, and uh, that just takes care of the basic needs, uh, food, sure. clothing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I can ask you, Prakash, if you if you hold in for with that thought, because the, you know, you know, what I wanted to understand from you is, you know, and as I've, I've spoken to, you know, many. You know, in la last five weeks, uh, you know, career strategists and you know people from different background. Now you have been keenly observing, uh, you know, and also as a participant and then as an observer in the, in the changes of world of work. What are some of the dramatic changes that you have seen, you know, since last, you know, you know, seven to ten years? And I believe that COVID nineteen has just opened that up and is accelerating the process. Probably yeah. the changes were already happening under the surface. So what are some of your observations around the changes in the world of work uh, that you've, you've seen? Yep. No, that's a great question. Um, uh, so, Naishad, what, what was fascinating for me whilst I was with corporate, I had already seen some of the ch changes happening 
where we used to have we used to be very um, our market share was very dominant uh, in certain categories for example uh when when I, i'm talking about now what 10 years ago uh so but slowly the market share was eroding because other players were all coming in the marketplace and they were like biting away without us realizing it was obviously going away and then online parallel importing gray market all of that i'm talking now retail okay because that's the space that i was operating in and also uh if you don't if you if, if you probably heard of khan academy k h a n khan academy is the online um it's a fascinating story about khan salman khan who was uh, uh, uh who was uh, uh, very good with maths uh, he was an mit student in the us and then he would go visit his uh, uh, aunt and nieces uh, every weekend and then they would say uncle can you teach me algebra and maths and all that so he would do that and then he would come back and next weekend he'll come again and say uncle we forgot what you taught us last week can you teach us again see this went on for a few weeks and then he was getting frustrated so he said okay he's told two of his friends that this is what my frustrations are and youtube was just the word taking off okay youtube was 2006 7 it was just taking off so they said why don't you make a couple of youtube videos and put it out okay and that way they don't need to bother you and so he made two youtube videos of the same algebra maths etc and said to his nieces they say you can watch it at any time they loved it so much that they told two of their friends and the two became four four became 10 and you know obviously you no know, millions of students every month watching khan academy he came up with a term called flipped education f l i p p e d flipped education and uh, of course the ivy league schools at that moment said okay it's just a fad at that moment think you know it'll just come and go but obviously it's not a fad that was just the beginning of the you know because the education model is probably something um you know the industrial age in the 19 uh, 19th century was there for a reason uh, it was the how model you know basically uh, two noble professions medicine or engineering were the only two noble professions those days but the world has moved on now we obviously have a very different model so while we come from the what i call the how era industrial age mbi management by instructions to the 20th century what era or mbo management by objectives now the 21st century is no longer the information age we've gone past information age we're in the conceptual age we call the mbv management by values is the why era so why alone is dangerous you need why what and how that's kind of what i see uh, this covid-19 is this expedited the whole thing this was only a matter of time really this is going to happen universities will exist in, in the future no doubt in my view but there'll be more of like a research center already students are taking iphones and ipads and learning through sitting in coffee shops and sitting at home this is now actually uh, it's not surprising uh, in a way the way it's just expedited the whole process now uh, so we now our way of working also will change go coming out of covid-19 how we will work uh, remotely uh, some will obviously there'll be a lot more flexibility in working from home or be in the office because we now experience the different way of working right like anything you know change is always difficult uh, when we go through and quite messy when we you know in the middle and obviously then once you get used to it there suddenly becomes a new new way of life really 
So now, you know, I, I think one of the things that's at the forefront of many people right now is, am I in the right career or not? Am I in the right industry or not? You know, should I look at, like, for example, a lot of people say, hang on, cybersecurity is a great industry because it's fancy, right? It's like you see the sci-fi movies and suddenly feel, wow, that's what these guys do. You know, hack those systems, test those systems. I really want to do that, right? So we will see that a lot of people will will start to think about what you know you know what kind of work do they want to do in the future what kind of industry do they want to do within the future and people who are i think will be thinking of career change or transition now you you know extensively talk about uh, you know career transition uh, can you can you help can you walk us through some of your best practices around career transition or do you do you have you kind of you know nailed down a particular process for career yep. transition yeah yeah oh absolutely yeah so one of the things that um, i like first of all let me uh, give you the context so i have transitioned in my life many many times so um, and I'm saying many, many times. So I spoke about my first life in India where I was with the hospitality field. So I came from airline catering to fine dining restaurants to banquet operations to F&B director, then coming across with two suitcases, transitioning to another country altogether and literally starting off in the toilet of an Indian restaurant and then working through KFC, Pizza Hut, had my own restaurant. So different formats, different transitions, okay? And within corporate, again, you go from one level to another level, just because you're good at level one, that doesn't mean to say your competencies are the same for level two, because they're very different. And that's where, uh, which a lot of companies may not realize, perhaps, or not even, we don't openly talk about it, there's a 50% or more failure rates because of these challenges, because we don't spend the time in really uh, you know, providing the required tools and, uh, you know, giving the managers or leaders actually those tools. So that's one transition. Then I came into from food retailing to merchandise retailing from the shop floor of this great company to the to the board again, different form, you know, all the way up to the top and then to supply chain, completely different transition. And then from transition supply chain to having my own practice, then back into traveling 44 countries, transitioning all the time. And so I've been transitioning pretty much all my life, really. So based on that learning, uh, what I've realized is that whilst it is exciting to, um, and so we have to be prepared for the transition, obviously will be happening all the time in my view. So one of the things that big learning for me is to, because we all have our own uniqueness in, in each of us. Okay, so there is no one person with the same thumbprint. We all are different and we are all unique. But important thing to remember is, and I got carried away and I don't want any of you guys to make the same mistake, is whilst we might say, okay, we have a uniqueness and we have our expertise, et cetera. And then I, I know you can see one of my books is there in the picture at the back there. That was my first book that I wrote um, of the many books that I've written. But the first book was more about my mom would have been very pleased that my son has become an author. Don't do to please... I would, I would, if I was to wind the clock back, I wouldn't write a book to please my mom, uh, put it this way. So, you know, in a nice way. So idea is to think about, um, even though we may say, okay, we have a unique capability and unique expertise and we all have unique strengths. Um, and one book, Strength Finder by Gallup International, you should actually get a chance. Uh, that's a great assessment tool as well. So first of all, look at the 
what is it that my uniqueness can help solve someone else's problem? And that's key. No point just saying, I just, because this is my passion and my hobby. And if it's not going to serve anyone else, that's of no value. Is my uniqueness, my product, my service going to solve someone else's problem? Then it's great. So you have a problem, a solution. And don't, uh, my also big learning has been that you be very specific about the target profile whom you are trying to address. There are seven plus odd billion people on the planet. You will never be able to please all seven plus billion people. I wish, but you will not be. There are some people who will actually want your services and those people will find you if you actually go the right way. So you go with a problem, the solution, the target profile. Also very important is to get good testimonials and uh, social proof because that's important that you and then any objections or risk potentially people are looking for and then you put your uniqueness that way if you have this process that would be following you know seven steps then you have a brilliant uh, product uh, possibly to test it out in the marketplace always do what we call you know, test the product um, don't spend all the time and effort and suddenly you find that oh my god no one there to buy uh, put in the, get the framework, you have an idea, test it out, and then say, okay, if there's obviously people wanting to, willing to um, pay for your services or the product, then of course you can then um, make this as a full-blown product. That's kind of been my big learning. So start from the inside out, is I would say, inside out, non-go. Typical marketing approach will be who's out there, what do they want, who do I know, what do I know? It's actually the other way around. So who am I? What do I know? And then you say, who do I know and who needs them? I think that that's really important. I think, you know, that's what we've been you know talking about is that the career transition or career planning or whatever, whatever that you want to do is always has, you know, starts from inward journey and then looking at where you can help other people with because i think you rightly pointed out is that you've got unique abilities which is the great starting point it's not the end point and but you, then you got to find out that who you can really serve who, yes. what problems you can really solve you know for people out there so i think you touched upon uh, you know the book of tom rath which uh, you know the the gallup strength finder which i when I transitioned from sales engineer role in 2009 to the employment line, which I currently do, is I actually undertook that that uh, strength finder assessment, and I, you know, it was very evident at that time that you know I would not be a great salesperson, uh, you know, I would be a great marketer, but not be a great salesperson because there were clearly identified strength. Uh, you know, and then I actually went on a search to find out, okay, I've got this strength, which everyone around me also has been saying, and now I've got a validation of where can I really apply this strength? What kind of environment that I will be able to apply and flourish and also be of, you know, service to someone else. So I think that that is absolutely critical into this. If I, I've, I've got a question from someone, you know, I think, you know, he comes from a supply chain background, so we will just going to you know, pick up your, you know, your brain on, on the future of supply chain post pandemic, post, you know, global, uh, you know, this, this challenge that we have, what are, what are your observations into this? I, I know to the listeners, we are going into a little bit technical, but we've got a question from a CEO, uh, 
uh, you know, who's into logistics and supply chain, uh, you know, so he wants, he's asking. So what are your observations right now, PK, on the post-COVID-19 impact on supply chain globally? I, I okay, I might use this as a, I just go back to um, the corporate days of mine and probably still relevant answering that question. We were going through, uh, because we are talking about Australia as a huge continent, right? So we are talking about uh, huge, it is massive and with different time zones and everything. So one of the big questions we were asking as a collective group was, uh, should we uh, have this one massive warehouse in the middle of the country? Um, and I'm talking about the 70, 80,000 square meter warehouse which will service, which is in supply chain terms called NDC, National Distribution Center. And this way we can service everyone else uh, in, the, in the country. But then fundamentally it boils down to then the strategy as to what we stood for. So we said five things, and this is probably still relevant and that might hopefully answer that question there too. So number one was, uh, who are we standing for? We said service. And now any take, any company, in my view, if I use uh, the analogy of a tricycle, you know, tricycle with two wheels at the back and a big wheel in the front, any company organization you take, it's basically that you can use this analogy of the tricycle. So one wheel could be service. Now, I'm not saying the big wheel or small wheel. I'm saying one wheel is service, one wheel is cost, and one wheel is product. Now, depending on who, which organization it is, they, some companies actually use the big wheel as cost. So private equity companies, they'll say cost, 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 cost. They will actually focus on cost and the other two small wheels will be service and product. Some uh, companies will use the big wheel as service and the two supporting wheels will be cost and product. And I use Apple and I use Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines is a good example. You know, with all the challenges across so many years, They've always been number one because uh, they actually believe that service was the number one. And regardless of where you fly from, you can always expect amazing service. Uh, Zappos online, one billion footwear retailer is a great example where service is the big wheel. So in our case, we actually said service is the something that we wanted to, we stood by and this company that I was with. And we said service number one, Number two is about flexibility. Number three, because you obviously you want to be agile, flexible, nimble. And then we said speed. And then finally, cost. Cost was the last. Why am I sharing this uh, to answer this question, Ashad? Instead of saying have this one massive warehouse in the middle of the country and servicing the rest of the nation, which will mean that we'll obviously have some cost gains, no question, because you only have one warehouse operation. but we are going to compromise service. Now, naturally, with this whole COVID thing, everything, I mean, we are dependent on so many other countries because we are bringing uh, merchandise from other countries and sourcing, etc. One of the challenges we have is the supply chain across the globe, you have broken links, naturally, with because there are uncertainties of where the merchandise is sourced from, we are reliant upon the ship to arrive on time, etc. So if you have the, instead of having this one massive warehouse in the middle of the country, why don't we have four or five regional distribution centers? So that they become, they can service the local community. 
So we had one in Western Australia, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney, one in Perth, one in uh, Brisbane. This way we had four regional RDCs, distribution centers, instead of one NDC. This way they become part of the local community and they can actually you know, service those individual needs. This is what I would say that supply chain will become, whilst you think global, we also look at local. And this way we can service both bigger picture at the same time, operationally will be far more efficient and effective. Hopefully that answers it. Yeah, I, look, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully this answers the question that uh, one of our listeners asked. If I can also sort of, you know, ask you about the, the fears people have to deal with uh, when they look at transitioning. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and they are individual fears. You know, sometimes you are afraid of change. Other people aren't afraid of change. You know, some people are not at all afraid of, you know, taking risk and some people could be, right? So what are your kind of thoughts around the fears that people are experiencing or would be experiencing right now? Because as you rightly pointed out, you have gone through probably 10 to 15 different transitions. Yep. Uh, you know, you were in India and when you were in Australia. And those are remarkable transitions. So you must have also had to overcome your fears, uh, you know, as you step into different transitions. So if you can, you know, tell us a couple of things, you know, two, two things. One is that what are some of the fears that you personally, you know, kind of, you know, not so much conquered, but you personally kind of overcome. And the second one was what are, in your view, some of the fears that people are experiencing and what they can do about that? Well, that's a great question, actually. So, Naishad, when we when we arrived, as I told you, I came with $500 borrowed money, okay? Borrowed money because I had borrowed for my in-laws because we didn't have, 1990, the reforms in India had not happened and we didn't have money anyway. So, we actually, I went up to my father-in-law and obviously was kind enough to give me $500 those days. And so, so basically, I had nothing to lose, essentially. So, so I had $500. And that's where it came with. And I told you, uh, cleaning toilets was the first job. Now, because at that stage, I only had more to gain than to lose mindset. Okay. So then I get my first job, $40,000 salary. And suddenly my wife was also working. Suddenly we had a rented home. We actually got our first television set at home. We actually got our first car. Individually, like, oh, wow. Okay. More car. Uh, so... The Australian dream is to own a home. 90% mortgage, 10% deposit, but your mortgage still here. But at least you have a home. Okay. So my friends who had migrated to with us at the same time, around that same time, they all would, and again, with all good intent, they would invite me to their home, to their uh, to their property, uh, because they put 10% deposit and bought the home. And they would actually say, you know basically tell us how wonderful and they ask when are you buying your home okay so this was like a peer pressure coming in okay so so now this was a million dollar question so if i say use the analogy if you give thousand dollars to someone today most people a lot of people i would say would go and buy the thousand dollars they might buy an ipad for example okay that's a very materialistic thing that's instant gratification so buy the iPad, put that in the house, display that so that when you invite friends over, people say, oh, wow, you got an iPad. Ego, 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 stroke, stroke. 
But if I invite the same friends over again tomorrow, they will not say, wow, well done again. So that's very short-lived. Okay. So somehow, I mean, we had I had no teachers or coaches at that moment, but somehow we had some few thousand dollars we had saved and we put on the $28,000 we had saved actually instead of putting into a deposit I invested into my own education they say 20% of your earnings every year you should reinvest it back into my, ourselves you may not see the res, uh, the results straight away but what we call delayed gratification so it actually will come through in three years four years five years from now where the others who actually had bought their homes and mortgage still here I was able to pay off the home much quicker, okay? Uh, because obviously your salary, et cetera, will exp exponentially grow because that's when it comes, it absolutely just takes off. Now, why would I say people, I'm including me, I'm saying there is a story and I'll stay the, share the story if I may it. There is a place in, um, in the US, Arizona, one of the few places on the planet where the American buffalo, called the bison and the cattle they graze together okay and because it's one of those places where you get the snowstorms often they are animals so they actually can smell the storm approaching what does the cattle do they start running away from the storm and very off very soon the the storm will come and obviously wipe out the cattle but the american bison intelligent species you can watch it on youtube also they knowing fully well the storm is approaching they walk into the storm and 20 minutes later, they go past it. So the point being that fearlessness is not the absence of fear. We all have fear. I have fear. You have fear. We all have it. But it's having the courage to embrace that. The sooner we learn to embrace the fear, the sooner we actually say accept it, we can move on. Otherwise, we start running away from the fear that will actually catch up. Like public speaking, for example. I was to be petrified of public speaking. Petrified. Three months of heart palpitations and sweating and all this. Did every possible course, etc. I did. But of course, when you go through that process, you embrace it. Now, things are different. So that's what I would say. You know, Knowing that everyone's got fear, the two things that drive every human behavior, Naishad. One is the avoidance of pain. We avoid pain. I don't go to the gym certain days because I want to avoid pain. I wear good clothes every day because I want to gain pleasure. So avoidance of pain or gain pleasure. But the one underlying factor which drives these two behaviors is the word called fear. It's toxic. It's the other word is resistance. You find excuses, known everything known to mankind. You'll find every excuse under the sun to say why you shouldn't do it. If it's actually really bothering you, you must do it. And so rather than simply saying, you know, I'm going to lose my car, the sense of entitlement now that I've got. I will lose my television set that I bought, which I didn't have before anyway. So I might as well actually say I'm prepared to take a leap of faith. And what happens, unfortunately, if you get a chance, read this book by Don Miguel, uh, The Four Agreements. It's an amazing book, uh, um, uh, Naishad, where the most powerful tool known to mankind is a spoken word impeccable is the word because you know when you are a child as an infant you are a beautiful baby boy or a girl mom and dad so oh, you're beautiful beautiful so when you get to three or four years of age you know the girls wearing frocks and the boys wearing you know shorts uncle auntie is coming home okay so naishad you're a good boy okay you behave yourself uncle auntie is coming home so uncle auntie will come home and say you're a good boy you're a good girl 
All right. So when they leave, if you have misbehaved for any reason, well, you go into the room, close the door, face the wall. You're a bad boy, bad girl. Now we get to school. The other people also come in. Teachers, other students, good girl, good boy. Get to university. That's intensified now. Good boy, good girl. Get to corporate. You're 100% programmed. You're dancing around to please other people's agenda. You lost your own identity. So, so I, I'm simply saying that is a, the first thing is to actually say, what is it that I want to do? And what is it that I'm passionate about? What's my mission? What's my purpose? Really, if that can be identified, then really some people will like you, some will not. So what? I think you beautifully put there, uh, you know, and I'm also making notes of the all the books that you've been saying, and I'll, 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 uh, you know, make sure that these are all parts of the comments that we've been, you know, receiving. So a lot of people are already started to enjoy, you know, your musings on various, uh, you know, various uh, topics. So before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want us to leave with in this post, in this COVID-19 area? Any any words of wisdom uh, from you, PK, would, would be immensely valuable. It could be career transition. It could be dealing with adversities because I think, you know, you've been very, you know, very vulnerable when you talked about your, your son, you know, and I've seen, I've interacted, I've met you personally. Uh, you know, and I find it absolutely humbling, you know, experience the way you share those, you know, those just, you know, um, you know, feelings that you have, because I think it takes more awareness and, uh, and guts to, you know, to open up and to be human. And that's one of the quality that we are missing, uh, you know, in, 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 in these days right now. Uh, and I really admire you, you know, uh, you know, for you to, because you must have had to go very deep in your personal, uh, you know, personal life, personal characteristics to really find a meaning again and and anchor you, know, you, your family, you know, so that you can start to to do some, you know, things that you want to do again. Do you want to leave us with some, you know, some real uh, learnings from that particular, you know, episode that you have? Uh, because I, I think there is, you know, there is a lot that we can learn from it. Okay. See, no, thank you, Nisha. I mean, see, obviously there is no book written anywhere. How do you deal with such extreme adversity? And I obviously, I don't wish this on any parent to go through this, but we went through... I think as a family, uh, we came together very close, as in we are already close, but this is really, um, they say, you know, we have a younger son. So as, as my view is, you know, the father's biggest gift to any children or child would be to give unconditional love to their mother. So that was the first step to bring the father and mother to come together very close, because that was the first step so that we actually have a collective strength. Uh, so that the, the younger son, obviously, obviously is looking at the parents. So that's what, well, I consciously had to, not that we were not doing it before, but this is amplified. And the awareness, I think the word is right. Uh, so awareness is amplified. Um, and anything that, uh, you know, obviously the big thing is uh, for me, uh, and I should, and I'm not saying, obviously there is this left brain in us, all of us, we have this, silly thing called ego which is the identity crisis which comes in you know and that's just the human brain the makeup but as long as i mean i'm conscious of it now 
and so the awareness is amplified and i'm not saying that it, i mean again it comes this fellow comes and says oh look at me i'm the ego that's kind of you know really uh, putting that aside genuinely wanting to help other people because it's not the number of years you lived on the planet that's the biggest learning for me after what we've experienced it's not the number of years it's actually what you do with the time that you spend on the planet if you can make a difference to even one soul and put a smile on their face every day uh, in a, authentically and not actually put on anything genuinely wanting to serve uh, money is just a means to the end all that is secondary genuinely wanting to, if that could be achieved uh, that could be that's what um, you know the purpose is if that is something that i'm aspiring to hopefully make a difference that actually brings a lot of peace um, uh, has brought a lot of peace uh, and some uh, meaning to life call it um, that has helped the other thing um, uh, read good books uh, um, you know most important learn to forgive others um, forgiving uh, others because and i'm saying i'm going through that process myself because sometimes in the uh, in the hurt that you had and i've had and wanting to no point actually um, taking out the anger on anyone um, because it was meant to have happened it happened it's an you know unfortunate but you learn to forgive and you forgive yourself when you move on and that's kind of where i found a lot of um, well i found a lot of peace that way and of course reading good books being in good company books is good company um, you know good books you read um, there's a movie also if you get a chance watch if you haven't seen it's called the shift by dr wayne dwyer amazing movie to our free documentary uh, download youtube download you can watch it that also helped so yeah good company good books forgiving um, it's hard it's process to go through and uh, you know that's and the family most important be around as a family being tied because leadership begins at home they say so that is the first step and most important step that helps absolutely i think i think everything helps uh, you know pk you know and i'm pretty sure that the listeners will will find immensely valuable uh, you know in and, and that's that's what it takes you know there are no as you rightly pointed out there are no you can read books uh, you know, on on finding opportunity from adversity. You can read. You can become a champion in quantum reading, right? But unless, because it just takes a different, uh, you know, step or a different courage to really act on these things, right? Uh, you know, and that's what that's what I think you you know you know you have demonstrated that example. So I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show and really opening up your heart and your you know mind to share us with us some of the really brilliant insights into dealing with adversities career transition the changes in the world of work so pk once again thank you very much for being on the show i'll just add one more if i may i should one more before we Please. i think the the key transitioning is um again just uh, transitioning career transitioning is the second most stressful thing in a professional's life even before bereavement, and I have say this because I know it firsthand. Um, second most, number one is separation in a family. Number two is uh, career transitioning. Now, technical skills in any industry, in any uh, profession is an assumed competency. 
assumed you must know if you're good at retail then you must be knowing everything about retail but the game changer is the adaptive skills resilience uh, critical thinking design thinking um, you know innovation creativity all that that's the change that these are the skills required for the 21st century if you can hone in on that and you bring that along with the technical skills and that is going to give you that differentiation i think that's probably my other sense in from a profession i'm saying well, that's really awesome. Now, for those people, uh, you know, if you want to find out more about PK, you can absolutely go to LinkedIn and connect with him. But PK has also written, you know, a book, uh, you know, he's written plenty of books. But one of the, you know, first book I think PK you wrote was uh, the book called Driven. Uh, yes. You know, which I, which I saw, you know, which, which is right there in the co-working space and behind there in the co-working space that we you know, share uh, in Melbourne. So, PK, it is an absolute privilege. And thank you for spending some time on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, and for listeners, if you want to find out, if you want to learn more about LinkedIn Lives and, uh, you know, download some of the, all the episodes, in fact, that uh, we have done since last five weeks, you can simply go to uh, any of your podcast engine, be it Stitcher, uh, iTunes, to Anchor, to Spotify and search for Your Career Down Under and you'll be able to subscribe and download all the episodes that we have done and even before LinkedIn Live that we started. So there are around 73 you know, episodes, but I, I consider them gold nuggets of various you know, experts and you know, their experiences that helps you to succeed in career and life in Australia. So. Uh, again, uh, we will be back, me and uh, Caroline Brown, which we like to call Team Gadani and Brown, uh, tomorrow. Uh, again, 3 p.m. Melbourne time. Uh, so until that, PK, thank you again. And see you, everyone. Bye. Thank you, thank you Nesha. Thank you, guys. See you then. Bye. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au And if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.